Last week we finished our series that we were going through for eight weeks, and now we're on to a new series. It's the fall, so we're doing a fall vision series. So I am an INFP. That's my personality little score thing, the letters that you get. My wife is huge into personality profiles. If you've talked to her for any length of time, she's made you take a personality test. And so, so I took this test, and I'm an INFP, and that means that I care about principles that affect the future. I don't think in details that are right now or the past. I think about the principles, the general rules that affect the future. Uh, my wife is different letters that mean that she knows what all the letters mean. But I'm the one who cares about the overall principles that affect the future. And that's what our vision statement is. Reach up, rise up, reach out. It's the main things that if we get these things right... We'll be going in the right direction. If we can do these things together, then God can use us in mighty ways to do great things. So if we can stay connected with God, if we can continually be getting better, and if we can be making a difference in this world, letting our light shine, then then good things are going to happen for the kingdom of God. So we're going to cover this vision statement, and we're also going to cover some specifics. So... I like the generalities that apply to the future, but there's also very important specific things that we need to deal with because there are people with different personalities that prefer very specific things and understanding how those work. So uh, we're going to also, you know, periodically through the next three weeks, talk about you know, mission strategies, potential local outreach things, campus development, paying off future debts, you know, debts because uh, we, we owe on the building and things like that. And then uh, one of the neat things that I'm excited about that we've, we've begun already before we've talked about it is uh, a new initiative dealing with the New Vision Children's Home in Jamaica that I referenced earlier. That's the, the home that's open now because of the relationship we have with them. We have our child sponsorship program that we developed after our missions trip there in January of uh, 2016. If it wasn't for that trip and the revenue that that trip brought and then the sponsorship program that started a few months after that, it would have have all fallen apart. And uh, that's really neat that that's happening. So we've got our child sponsorship program, $100 a month per kid pays all the bills for the home. That's the expenses. That's how it works. And uh, that is what they need. And that's what we've been able to provide. So that's really cool. However, what we have now is a long-term dependency situation. So they need the child sponsorship program to exist for them to exist. And so they are dependent on us. Is that God's perfect, wonderful plan? God's perfect, wonderful plan is for ministries to be self-sufficient and not be dependent on other people and be in that very dangerous and vulnerable position. So the great blessing about the New Vision Children's Home is it's located on an island nation which is less than the size of St. Louis County, but they have 30 acres of high-quality farmland that they have access to that they can develop. And so We've done the math on if the farm was fully developed, that it would pay the bills for the children's home and they would be self-sufficient. But right now, what is happening is in order to develop the farmland, they would have to divert funds from the kids to develop the farm. But they're just at that 
good, solid, break-even place with keeping the kids in school clothes and all the stuff that they need. And so they can't really divert a large amount of funds over to the farm and then neglect the kids. So what do we do? So someone who was on our last missions trip came to me and said, I know what we should do. Uh, And I'm like, okay. Because, you know, people have lots of ideas. And uh, sometimes I feel like my job is to just say no to people. Like, that's my job. Like, no, we're not going to do that. Uh, But sometimes it's not just a good idea. It's a God idea. And I believe this is a God idea. So what this person came to me and he said is, you know what would be awesome is we've got the sponsor a child thing. What if we sponsored a farmer? What if we created jobs, and then we maintained those jobs until they started producing enough revenue to pay for themselves, and then we backed out, and that means that we could be the the revenue stream that develops the farm, which allows us to back away from developing the farm, which then allows us to back away from the sponsorship program and allows them to be self-sufficient and independent on their own and not dependent on us at all. You want to know what the normal wage for a farmer is in Jamaica full-time? This is full-time wage. This is above minimum wage. Full-time wage for a farmer in Jamaica is $300 a month. So that's 40 hours a week. You know, that's five, eight-hour days, $300 a month. So that's $75 a week, which is not a whole lot per day. So that's what it would take. And if we can employ three to five farmers, the person who came up with this idea said, I'll take the first one. So we've already got one farmer who's going to start tomorrow, who's already been sponsored. And this is a, would be about an 18 to 24 month program. Then, of course, they would start producing enough to be able to pay for themselves and extra, which then would be able to create revenue streams that would help the, the home stay self-sufficient. So we'd be creating jobs, providing an economic engine, and taking care of a children's home while also allowing us to be able to step away without having that dependency situation just by doing this additional thing, which is the adopt or sponsor a farmer program, $300 a month to sponsor a farmer. Again, that'd be an 18 to 24 month program. And it could be the thing that catapults it into self-sufficiency. Isn't that cool? So general principles are wonderful. Details are also wonderful. I like this detail because it affects the future. So that's one of the things that we're developing. We'll get more information about that as we go. But if that stirs your heart, then, uh, then be ready as we get ready to, to advance that program. But today we're going to be talking about this general concept of reaching up, connecting with God, having a real relationship with God. There is the opportunity to connect with God. I was doing the uh, the sermon development time with Pastor Corey from Morgan Park, who, by the way, will be here speaking the last weekend of September. So we got our three weeks of vision, and then Corey's going to come and he's going to share about how Morgan Park has been going because. That started just about a year ago. By that time, it'll be past their one-year anniversary, and he'll give you all kinds of stuff about what's going on in Morgan Park. So fantastic things are happening there. Um, Of course, it's a battle, but great things are going on. I'm really, really excited about that and the potential for future things going on with that as well. But Pastor Corey will be here. We were talking about this. What do we we say on our... our, uh, vision series this year when we're talking about reach up. So I asked him, what's the most important thing that people need to know about this reach up concept? And he said, well, I think the most important thing is for people to have a tangible experience with God. If people can have a tangible experience with God, then they'll understand what reach up means. 
And I thought, yeah, that sounds great. Tangible experience with God. I'm fortunate in my life to be able, you know, I, I grew up in a non-Christian home, so, uh, you know, there's all that stuff. But I've had tangible experiences with God. I've, I've walked away from situations and known that God did something. And that's a, 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 a blessing. And there are other people who... Maybe that isn't something that they have in their history. So this is what we're going to talk about, having a tangible experience with God. And in order to be able to do that, we're going to look at three very different scenarios in the scriptures of people's interactions with God and how that worked. And my hope is that you will relate to one or more of these, these stories of these people and how their relationship with God played out, and that then you would be able to uh, fully grab hold of God's relationship with you, your personal, tangible experiences with God. So we're going to start with Samuel. Samuel, there's Old Testament books, First and Second Samuel. This is the Samuel of First and Second Samuel. And uh, let me just give a little backstory about Samuel. His mother was named Hannah, and Hannah was married but unable to have children. And in that day, if you were a married woman who was unable to have children, it was a big disgrace. It was a super uh, unfortunate situation. Everybody in that scenario felt really bad, and Hannah felt it very strongly. She had people that would make fun of her because she couldn't have kids, and there were people being mean to her. All these problems were happening to her, so she was She was grieved deeply in her heart because of her inability to have children. And so she goes to the temple of God and she's there praying. And she's praying so strongly that her lips are moving, but no sound is coming out. And she's acting kind of weird. So the the priest comes over and says, what you drunk lady? Get out of the temple. What are you doing being drunk at the temple? And she says, I'm not drunk. I'm just, my heart is real heavy because I've got this problem. And so the priest is like, okay, well, let's pray then. So they they prayed that, uh, that God would answer her prayer for having a child. And then she said, if I have a child, I'll dedicate him to service to the Lord. So Hannah, in the course of time, conceives. She ends up having three sons and two daughters. But this first son is Samuel, and she dedicates him to service of God. So she's been to the temple Samuel is born as answered prayer, so this child is an answer to prayer. And once he's weaned, he's just a little guy from what the scriptures say. She brings him to the temple and says, okay, he's going to serve God at the temple and leaves him there. And every year she'll come back. She sews him a new robe that's a little bigger each year and gives him a new robe. And her boy is there serving at the temple. And that's where we pick it up. And we are going to go to 1 Samuel chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. So here's the situation. The temple service is going on. People are worshiping God. But there's very little of the miracle things happening. Not many visions. The word of the Lord was rare. So the people of that day were basically remembering what God had done generations ago. But they weren't saying, look what God did today. They were remembering the past. How many people are in situations like that where 
okay, I believe in God, I trust in Him, uh, my experiences with God are from hearing stories that He did stuff years ago and reading Bible stories, and I know back then things happened, but today visions are rare. How many people are in that scenario? That's where Samuel was serving in a time like that. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. So Samuel gets to sleep next to the ark of the covenant. Talk about being an insider. Right? I mean, like this dude, he's an answer to prayer from the high priest. He's dedicated to God and he's serving in the temple and he sleeps by the Ark of the Covenant. He's an insider. Verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. So God, not only is he sleeping by the Ark, God comes and speaks to Samuel in an audible voice. And Samuel hears it, but let's read the next verse. And he ran to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call, go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. This kid who is sleeping next to the ark, who's got every religious advantage you could possibly think of, hears the audible voice of God and misinterprets it, and he thinks it's Eli. He thinks it's the priest calling to him. So he runs over to him, Eli, what do you need? What? Go to bed. So he goes back to bed. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So the creator of the universe has now talked to Samuel twice, and he has misinterpreted it twice. Verse 7. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. So what did Samuel not yet know? The Lord Do you think he thinks God is real? Oh, yeah. He's an answer to prayer himself. He's serving in the temple. He's sleeping next to the ark. He's he's participating in the ministries of the temple. I, I think he believes that God is real. But he hasn't had a tangible experience of God. So in our scenario, it would be somebody who's grown up in church, been taught the truth, and they're going with it, you know, like, yep, this is it. But they've never had a real tangible experience with God. It's just been, yep, I'm on board. Verse 8, the Lord called Samuel a third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli. The third time God speaks audibly to Samuel, he still doesn't get it. But fortunately, Eli has been around a little longer. He figures out what's going on. He went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, speak. For your servant is listening. Now if Samuel of First and Second Samuel, even though he's young here, if that Samuel was able to hear the audible voice of God three times and not catch that God was talking to him, might that happen to us? 
Might the still small voice be whispering in our ear and we don't catch it? We don't notice it. We misinterpret it. We don't see what's really going on. So let me give you this same bit of advice that Eli gave to Samuel. If you feel like that whisper is coming in your ear, if you feel like God is trying to connect with you, then simply stop and say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And listen. If that moment happens, say, Lord, speak. I think especially in our culture, we're so busy, we're running here and there, we're trying to figure everything out on our own, and we don't stop and listen. Samuel needed to listen. And then he was going to get his tangible experience with God. Do you want to see what that tangible experience was? He's a boy. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. That's Eli, the guy who said, Go tell him, you know, your servant is listening. Oh, for I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Samuel lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. So God spoke to the boy Samuel, a harsh judgment against Eli. What was Eli's sin? Eli was a good guy, but he was too much of a softy. He wouldn't stop other people from doing bad things. And he didn't stop his sons from doing very bad things at the temple. And so God is going to judge his family. Verse 16. But Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. The Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. So Samuel... He himself, an answer to prayer, serving in the temple, sleeping by the Ark of the Covenant, talk about an insider, hears the voice of God and misunderstands. For us, we need to tune our ear to God. And if he whispers, say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And then just wait. Let's look at another situation that is extremely different. Samuel taught the truth from a young age, accepted, able to sleep by the ark. Let's talk about a Canaanite woman that has an interaction with Jesus. Matthew 15, starting in verse 21, a very, very different scenario. Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. Next verse. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him So a Canaanite woman. So the promised land was Canaan. And when Israel went to the promised land, what did they have to do? They had to kill all the people that lived there and take their land. She's one of the unchosen people. 
a descendant of those people that the nation of Israel uh, went in and displaced and eliminated. She's a descendant of them. Very, very different scenario from Samuel, who's sleeping next to the Ark of the Covenant. This is a Canaanite woman, an unchosen person. Now in this era, you know, there's different periods of history where there's different rules. You notice that? Like there's, there's the Garden of Eden before the fall. Do whatever you want. The world is a certain way. Then there's the Garden of Eden after the fall. There's the big angel with a flaming sword keeping people away from the, the tree of life. Then you've got the, everything turns real bad. You get Noah's flood. Uh, that's a disaster. Get rid of all the bad guys. Then, uh, okay, well, let's not kill everybody. Now what do we do? So it's Abraham, the man of faith. Let's separate out a chosen people. So Abraham is separated out. His descendants, they become the Israelites. They're not really catching on to how all this works. So let's just tell them what to do. That's the law of Moses. So the law of Moses, it's way, way down the timeline. Then you get the law, tell them what to do. So you've got the chosen people who have been given the law and you've got everybody else. These are the people that are representing God to the world, showing the world how it works. That wasn't really working either. So then you get the, the final plan is the plan of salvation. Jesus comes, brings everybody together, forgives the sins of the world, and anyone can come in and be a child of God. This was just before that time when Jesus would die on the cross and the unchosen people would be brought in and welcomed in to the family of God. So she's still an unchosen person. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, came to Jesus, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Isn't it terrible when you see a child suffer? Isn't it terrible when you see your child suffer? So she goes to Jesus. Help me. I know you can help me. Verse 23. Jesus did not answer a word. So she's ignored. He just keeps on going. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away for she keeps crying out after us. Look, ignoring her, she's not getting the picture. We're going to have to kick her out. Verse 24. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. Yes, I'm here, but I'm not here for you. Quit bothering us. Verse 25. The woman came and knelt before him. Lord, help me, she said. So getting ignored, she wasn't going to take that. Being told, look, Yeah, I got some great things from God, but they're not for you. Was not sufficient for her. She gets in front of him, kneels down, and continues to plead. Lord, help me, she said. Jesus replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. One of the things we don't properly appreciate today is the period of time and history that we live in. We live in the day of salvation. It's a beautiful time to live in. This is the transition period into that, but it hasn't quite happened yet. Jesus says it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So did she have a tangible experience with God? Yes, she did. A very different tangible experience from that that Samuel had. And I look at the life of this Canaanite woman, 
And I can't help but put myself in her shoes and think, when would I have given up? You ever been ignored by somebody? I might have given up right there. Have you ever been told by somebody you don't belong? I know I'd have given up then. (laughs) She didn't give up. Have you ever been insulted? She still didn't give up. And she got her miracle from God. Now, I want to read from 2 Second uh, uh, Corinthians chapter six, verses one and two, because it's very important. Because we're not living in the Mosaic Law time; we're living in the New Covenant. So let's make sure we make that transition in our hearts. As God's fellow workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. For He says, "In the time of my favor, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you." I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. We live in the time of God's favor, in the day of salvation. Jesus has died on the cross for the sins of the world, and He has risen again, and we can have our sins forgiven, and we can have new life in Christ. It is now the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And this Canaanite woman was able to get in on that ahead of time. She was able to grab hold of a great miracle from God during the time before the day of salvation. Now it's the day of salvation. And no one is rejected by God. No one is an outsider. The children of Abraham, the Jews, and the Gentiles, the unchosen people, have been brought together to make one body serving the Lord. And so no one is rejected by God. Only God is rejected by people. But let me tell you, there are many, many people who feel rejected by God. There are many, many people who feel ignored by God. There are many people who feel like an outsider, an unchosen person. It's a lie during the day of salvation. It's not true. But if you believe you're unchosen, if you believe you don't belong, if you believe you're being ignored and pushed aside by God, then that's going to stop you from reaching up to the one who can help. I am amazed that she did not give up. And the fact is, what she did was so amazing and wonderful that it made the Bible. Her faith was great. If you're in a situation where you feel like you're just unchosen, you're not like Samuel who had all the advantages. You're like the Canaanite woman who has all the disadvantages. Let me tell you, fight through it and grab your miracle from God. He's actually rooting for you and cheering for you because today is the day of salvation. Now is the time of God's favor. Don't believe the lie that you don't belong. One more scenario. The Ethiopian eunuch from Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 26. So here we are in history. Jesus has died on the cross. He rose again. The church started in Acts chapter 2 and thousands of people get saved and then there's a persecution that breaks out and the disciples kind of scatter here and there and Philip is one of those that's scattered and he's out there doing the work of the Lord and, and teaching the truth wherever he goes and so that's where we pick it up. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So was Philip having personal, you know, a tangible experiences with God? Yes, he says, speak, 
Lord, for your servant is listening. And so the Lord says, okay, go do this. So he does it. Verse 27. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. So here's an Ethiopian. Ethiopia is in Africa, so he's an African, but he's been up to Jerusalem. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, so he's someone who I'm assuming is not of Jewish descent because he's African, but he's someone who believes in God and he's gone to Jerusalem to worship. And Philip goes to meet him at the uh, call of God. On his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. So he's been worshiping. Now he's doing a Bible study on the book of Isaiah. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Have you ever had a strange thing from God? Go stand over there. What do you do? You say, yes, Lord. You go stand there. And then you figure out why you're there. Verse 30, then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. So he's reading it out loud. Philip hears him reading from Isaiah and is like, aha, I know I am here. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch was reading this passage of scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. And as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet uh, talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The man ends up getting baptized, and here's a, a believer in Jesus. So this Ethiopian, did he have a tangible experience with God? Samuel got, Samuel, Samuel, and then he, he was a prophet of God from then on. The Canaanite woman got a miracle because she pressed through, feeling like an outsider and being rejected. What did the Ethiopian eunuch get? He got a person from God to come help him. He didn't get an audible voice of God vision or revelation. There's no indication there was any miracle other than the coincidence of Philip showing up and explaining to him Isaiah that he happened to be reading a, a messianic prophecy in Isaiah and Philip was able to explain it to him and the Ethiopian eunuch got his experience with God through a person and I think for most people that's that's what happens with us is there something that's like wow that just can't be a coincidence <laughs> wow you can see God's hand on it but there's there's no waking vision the great miracle may not happen, but you can see the hand of God. So these are three very different types of scenarios of that tangible experience with God. So where would you fit or do you fit in one of these three categories? Are you the person, oh, yep, grew up in a Christian home, taught the things of God. I know all the things to do. I know when to do them. 
but I've never had that real connection with God. The person who feels rejected and forgotten by God and even pushed away by God, but who can persevere and battle through and get to that place. Or the person who just has another person come and be that blessing from God. I don't, you know, people are very complex and every story is different. But here's the truth. A real relationship with the living God is available to you. You may have to battle through your feelings of rejection. You may have to go from knowing all the stuff to having a real relationship with God. You may see the hand of God through circumstances and what other people bring into your life. But however it works for you, it can end with a real relationship with God. 